0: A new book reveals how to recognize and defeat the evil of communism and other totalitarian regimes like Putin's Russia, The Triumph of Good, Cain, Abel, and the End of Marxism, with commentary by the author, Thomas Cromwell. Chapter 5 The Struggle Between Good and Evil in History Historical Materialism or Divine Providence A prominent feature of Marxism is its theory that history is a record of the dialectic process working itself out over time, with its ultimate objective, the realization of Communism, a materialist utopia. For Marxists and most other leftists, history is subject to inexorable forces that are propelling it towards a predetermined destination. This Marxist view serves not just as an explanation of history, but also as a justification for any program or activity that is deemed to hurry humanity towards the goal. This confidence in a communist destiny is truly remarkable, given that Marxism itself admits to no overarching purpose for creation. What then gives Marx such confidence in a predetermined destiny? Clearly, his determinism is taken directly from monotheistic religions that teach a human telos in the advent of the Kingdom of Heaven. New Section The Providential Nature of History As we pointed out in the previous chapter, we need to seek the truth of history in the revelations of divine providence revelations that while shrouded in prehistory and legend nevertheless appeal to our innate sense of what is good and what is evil. Resorting to scriptures to discover the truth is then the best option open to us and the one taken here. What emerges are historical patterns of behavior that either advance or retard human progress and enlightenment. Furthermore, Providential history advances behind a vanguard of virtuous leadership and sound teaching that spearheads the worldwide restoration of humankind. Following, we will seek to identify this vanguard and explain its workings. This is a very different account from the one proposed by Marxism, which sees history in the pseudo-providential light of a dialectical process that leads inevitably to a communist state itself a pseudo-anticipation of the real end goal of providential history. We will examine the Marxist theory of history next, but it is worth noting up front that it suffers from two huge problems. The first is that Marxism is clueless regarding the real nature of evil and therefore how it can be overcome. And second, as we demonstrate in this book, dialectical materialism is unscientific, and therefore incapable of providing a credible explanation of the forces that have shaped history. New section. Historical Materialism Marx, of course, rejected the religious base for an ideal world and developed his own materialistic conception of history, as he put it. Later called historical materialism, this theory looks at the world through the lens of class differences, the conflicts they cause, and the resultant changes in economic systems the main body of the communist manifesto famously begins with the line the history of all hitherto existing societies is the history of class struggles end quote to understand this theory it is necessary to understand marx's basic assumptions about the world and human existence some of which we have already touched on drawing on darwinism Marx believed that human beings emerged from the animal kingdom and that all human intelligence, ideas, and spiritual experiences, including those of science, religion, and culture, were essentially created out of the evolutionary human experience. For Marx then, the fundamental nature of humans is material and their most basic instincts and interests lie in their desire to survive and prosper. This Marxist view is called economic determinism because it judges the way that people survive to be the fundamental force in history, shaping their ideas, behavior and organization. In Marxism, it is the base that shapes all human relationships and social structures in the superstructure. The base is comprised of the means of production, including labor and capital these are the primary forces affecting the superstructure which includes religious belief science the state culture and social institutions including the family thus in order to bring about social change it is necessary to change the economic base or system of society although marx did recognize that the superstructure does have limited influence on the base For Marx, it is primarily the working out of the forces and relationships in the base that drives history. People are constantly looking to improve their situation in life and therefore reject the economic structures they inherit and seek to make better ones. In dialectic speak, an antithesis to the existing system emerges, negating the thesis. The antithesis itself, however, also contains contradictions, and consequently is negated by its own antithesis which emerges as a synthesis of the original thesis and antithesis according to this theory the synthesis is an improvement on the thesis and thus this process is responsible for both natural evolution and human socio-economic progress the thesis antithesis synthesis process is not peaceful but characterized by violent struggle as a new economic system emerges from the old. In Marxism, the dominant conflict within the base is that between economic classes. Since the distribution of wealth among people is never equal, there is a natural process of survival of the fittest, in which some form a dominant class and the rest are relegated to a subservient class. Thus Marx believed class struggle to be of primary importance in the shaping of history. Later offshoots of Marxism and especially critical theory broadened the categories of causal dialectical struggle to include many aspects of society, as we shall discuss later. Marx believed that he could trace the dialectical workings of human existence beginning with the very first people, the hunters and gatherers. As they multiplied, their need for land forced the development of primitive agriculture. With further population growth, the competition for arable land increased, and a class of landowners and their slaves emerged, and the feudal system was born. The inequities of that system, however, resulted in resentment and agitation from landless peasants wanting to have ownership of property. Their revolt against feudal lords and nobility resulted in a new class of property owners emerging, a class that exploited workers to make profits. Thus capitalism was born. A new section. Socialism as a necessary step to communism. The inequities within capitalism doom it to failure, Marx believed. It was, he thought, nothing more than a stage on the road to socialism and communism, His role was to push along this process through a violent revolution of the working classes, the proletariat, against the wealthy ownership class, the bourgeoisie. In the Communist Manifesto, he said, and I quote, the communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. Let the ruling classes tremble at a communist revolution end marx believed that socialism itself was a necessary step between capitalism and communism the socialist state would introduce revolutionary centrally planned economic measures and condition the people to appreciate communism in a socialist state the workers would rule they would confiscate all private property and concentrate all capital in the hands of the state. In turn, the state would invest its capital wisely and with the greatest benefit for the people. The fruits of those investments would be distributed fairly according to need. After watching the failure of the Paris Commune in 1871, Engels observed that it was necessary for the proletariat to be led to this promised land by an enlightened leadership. After all, their thinking had been spoiled by life under capitalism. Thus, to build socialism, it was necessary to have a dictatorship of the proletariat that would guide the ship of state safely from its capitalist past to its communist future. As the economy was transformed, so too would be all the superstructure ideas and institutions until the dictatorship would no longer be needed And there would be a withering away of the state a new section the marxist myth of socialism withering away the notion of the state withering away is a glaring fault in historical materialism it contradicts the basic precept of dialectical materialism namely that all existence all entities are fraught with internal contradictions These contradictions always give rise to conflict as the necessary process to achieve progress. How, then, is it possible for the socialist state to simply wither away and the communist state to emerge free of contradictions and conflicts? Did Marx believe in magic? As with all Marxist concepts, logic and science are neither the basis nor the objective of the theory. Violent revolution is the object. But Marx and Engels realized that beyond conflict there had to be a desirable destination for humanity, a materialist alternative to the heavenly kingdom. They were, after all, raised in a culture steeped in Jewish and Christian millennial beliefs, and they recognized that human aspirations are closely tied to achieving an eternal home of peace and happiness. So to be able to promise their version of heaven They simply had the dialectic disappear into thin air once socialism was established. This is, of course, the ultimate indictment of the theory that dialectical materialism is the engine of existence and evolution. To say that it will cease to function in the form of class conflict as socialism withers away and a communist state emerges is to admit that it is not a principle of nature at all. As we have noted, Marxism offers no explanation for the non-conflictual interactions of natural elements that sustain life and suggest the possibility of peaceful coexistence among human beings. Their science mandates a constant state of conflict between diverse elements of nature. Thus the Marxist myth of a communist utopia was born, even though it contradicts Marx's own theory of existence and history and in yet another extraordinary demonstration of wishful thinking marx expected violent communist revolutionaries who engage in the bloody destruction of existing authorities and institutions to then form a wise and just dictatorial ruling class to govern a socialist state and finally to surrender their power voluntarily as they managed the transition to a perfect communist state Only a blind faith in the power of socialism to transform ruthless and violent people into self-sacrificing saints can explain this fantastic theory. However, Marx was right in one way. His prescriptions for society would attract a religious-like devotion from many, some even at a fanatical level. The communist ideal does appeal to the religious nature of people. A nature we are endowed with that constantly aspires to an ideal state of existence. We want to believe in an ideal world that is better than the one we inherited. Even when Stalin was killing his own countrymen by the millions, many communists around the world continued to believe in the myth that the Soviet Union was actually building an ideal state in which each would give according to their ability and receive according to their need. Many were only disabused of this lie when his reign of terror was made fully public in 1956. But Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and other communist ideologues and dictators were not scientists dedicated to finding a factual base for the theories they embraced. Rather, they touted theories that provided a justification for violent revolution and were sufficiently fungible to justify totalitarian rule in the name of an imaginary underclass. This theoretical flexibility has meant that socialist and communist leaders have always been able to justify the contradictions between their promises and the reality of their regimes. As one long-suffering citizen of the former socialist regime in Hungary commented sarcastically to this author, quote, They always tell us they are building socialism. They never say when they will be finished. End quote. The Marxist myth ignores a fundamental reality, namely that differences and even apparent contradictions will always exist in society. They are part of the true diversity and beauty of the creation which embodies divine attributes in myriad permutations of subject-object relationships, as we have noted. The point is that for life to exist, there must be give-and-take between subject and object. To destroy one or the other is to destroy the fabric of life itself. Marxism fails to recognize the critical importance to life and history of the constructive relationships between subjects and objects a new section the real legacy of socialism indeed history demonstrates how foolish the marxist theory of development through conflict is violent revolutionaries naturally set up brutal and oppressive regimes their object is power and once they have achieved it they are loath to relinquish it this pattern has been repeated again and again for example in the paris commune itself A motley assortment of radical leftists seized power and immediately used brutal means to suppress opposition. They were defeated quickly, but Marxist revolutions have proved more successful at retaining power. Lenin and the ruthless Bolshevik revolution spawned a brutal communist regime in Russia. Mao Zedong and the Chinese Communist Party gained power through a bloody revolution and has kept it through tyrannical repression. Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam, Pol Pot in Cambodia, Kim Il Sung in North Korea, Fidel Castro in Cuba, and Che Guevara and his brutal insurgencies in Latin America. The pattern is consistent. No socialist regime has ever been anything other than repressive, and none has shown any potential to create an ideal state yet despite this dismal and bloody record the dogma of the godless marxist religion is still believed by many including well-educated and widely experienced people who enjoy comfortable lives in free societies the marxist myth continues to lure them into believing that destruction of traditional societies is a path that inevitably leads to a better world as we will discuss in greater detail later What Marx and Engels believed to be the inevitable demise of capitalism has never happened. Socialist dictatorships never succeeded in investing capital efficiently or distributing wealth equitably. State control of capital is always less efficient than private control. The socialist communist elites, the nomenklatura in the Soviet Union, control all the power and all the property and do whatever they want with the rest of the population. Injustice is rampant. The state's lust for power and wealth is insatiable. It takes and takes and takes from the people until little or nothing is left. No idyllic communist state has ever emerged from a socialist system, and ultimately the socialist states collapse from internal corruption and mismanagement some like china have managed to prolong their existence by adopting limited levels of capitalism while retaining their strict communist rule marxist economic determinism and historical materialism are clearly flawed they are theories built in ignorance of the purpose and principles of creation and true human aspirations furthermore because they are rooted in an atheistic worldview They are not anchored in any moral absolutes, making them susceptible to abuses. What Marx identified as institutions of the superstructure, most importantly religion and family, are far from being the products of economic systems. They are not governed by class relations, but by moral law and spiritual purpose. They wield great influence over other institutions in civil society And it is ultimately from them that we can derive the most equitable economic systems. New Section Divine Providence Propels History As we have shown, Marx's theory that class struggle and violent revolution are the main engines for human progress in history is patently erroneous. The actual legacy of class conflicts and violent revolutions has been disastrous, especially as evidenced in the establishment of communist states in the Soviet Union and China, which have caused so much human suffering and destruction. Consider the current state of the world compared to just a few centuries ago. For example, the standard of living enjoyed by billions of people today is far superior to that experienced by the vast majority of people in the 19th century. Thanks to the rapid advances in science and technology, The average lifestyle of the middle class today includes more comforts than the wealthy enjoyed just two centuries ago did this transformation come about through a series of violent revolutions clearly not this progress was achieved through the steady development of capitalist societies in which individuals were free to innovate and develop private enterprises if anything the communist revolutions of the 20th century represented huge regressions in the forward march of human progress. What then has been the true dynamic of historical progress? Humanity has advanced by people overcoming internal and external ignorance and achieving victories of good over evil as part of a providential plan to restore human beings to their original purity, virtue and goodness. Again, the Cain-Abel paradigm is instructive. It reveals the method and pattern of this historical process of human evolution. The killing of Abel by Cain was a huge setback, but Seth became the new providential ancestor and out of his lineage Noah and his family would emerge to restore the family of Adam and Eve. However, despite separating from the evil world through the Flood, Noah's second son Ham made a mistake and Shem became the new providential ancestor out of whose lineage Abraham appeared. Thus Adam's family was replaced by Noah's family which in turn was replaced by Abraham's family. This is not the place to trace in detail the working out of Cain-Abel relationships in the providential history of restoration as interesting as that is. Suffice it to say that able type figures in religious and scientific fields of endeavour have appeared again and again to bring enlightenment and hope to the world. They have always been confronted by reactionary, Cain-type resistance. When they have prevailed, human progress has advanced. When Cain has prevailed, it has suffered setbacks. In Appendix 5, there is a more detailed analysis of the cain paradigm at work in the Old Testament era of the Bible, but there is one particularly important family that we will discuss now, that of Abraham and Sarah. A new section, The Family of Abraham and Sarah Abraham's first son, Ishmael, was born to Sarah's servant, Hagar, at the behest of Sarah, who was barren. However, when Sarah was later able to conceive, she had a son of her own, Isaac ishmael represented cain and isaac represented abel however when abraham failed to complete a sacrifice of animals the providence to restore adam's family was postponed to the next generation with isaac taking abraham's position isaac's twin sons esau and jacob inherited the cain and abel roles from ishmael and isaac esau was greatly angered when jacob won the birthright and his father's blessing and jacob fled to haran to escape being murdered by his brother however when jacob eventually returned he showered esau with gifts dissolving his elder brother's bitterness and resentment and the twins were reconciled this success enabled jacob and his family to be blessed as the new providential ancestors his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of israel the nation at the center of the providence of restoration. There is another little-known yet significant aspect to this story. Ishmael, the elder half-brother of Isaac, who was born to Sarah's servant Hagar, also had twelve sons, who became twelve tribes, the ancestors of the Arabs. It was from among these people that Muhammad would rise as a prophet some five hundred years after the death of Jesus, establishing the religion of islam thus abraham became the father of three great monotheistic religions judaism christianity and islam although this topic lies beyond the scope of this book history has shown that the relationship among these three faiths has had an enormous impact on the world and is pivotal to the ultimate dissolution of human resentments and the defeat of evil Indeed, understanding the Cain and Abel dynamics at play in the relationships among these three faiths is critical to their peaceful reconciliation. A new section. The Cain-Abel paradigm shapes providential history. The dynamic of the Cain-Abel paradigm has been the driving force of providential history. It has played out starting on the individual and family levels, expanding to the tribal and national levels and eventually reaching the global levels witnessed in the last century. As noted, it is spearheaded by a vanguard of able-type leaders and ideas that confront the status quo, based on its inadequate systems of belief and social order, and offers a better alternative. The histories of vanguard individuals and movements make up the core of providential history and therefore are of greatest interest to us here. Looking at the world from this perspective it is abundantly clear that Marx's theory that aggrieved groups should act on their anger and resentment by resorting to violent revolution is a politico-economic incarnation of Cain ideology the results of its implementation have been predictably disastrous causing death for tens of millions of people around the world and untold suffering for hundreds of millions more Compare the Marxist legacy with those of nations and governments established on a belief in the primacy of God-given rights and responsibilities and the sanctity of every life. It was these able-type countries that sacrificially confronted and defeated the Cain-type Nazi regime in World War II and, since then, have spearheaded opposition to the Cain-type communist regimes in the Soviet Union, China, and elsewhere. That Cain was older than Abel established the pattern of evil preceding good, a phenomenon evidenced throughout history that offers hope for the true to follow the false, for light to follow dark. Thus the very prevalence of Marxist and neo-Marxist theories that today influence society and continue to justify totalitarian regimes suggests that it is time For a new able-type vanguard of leaders and ideas to emerge and show the way to replace these atheistic ideologies with godly alternatives the central providential path from biblical history to the present is the next issue we will examine beginning with the remarkable worldwide enlightenment of the axial age end of chapter